Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 2 of This Is We. In the last episode, I kind of talked a little bit about what it meant to be a TCK for myself personally. In this episode, we're actually going to expand a little further on that and interview three people who I've you know, closely worked with, um, whether it be in China or here in Hong Kong. Each of these individuals bring a unique perspective to what it means to be a TCK. Uh, one of them happens to be black, the other one happens to be Asian mix, um, and the other one is white. So they're really great different perspectives on what it means to be a TCK. After this interview had happened, uh, one of them had messaged me and wanted me to make a, um, a statement on the differences between uh what it meant to be a TCK about experiences versus migrants versus traditional versus non-traditional. And for me personally, it's not something that I would like to uh, do. The reality of the situation is that as the world has progressed, as we've become more globalized, the understanding of it is that the definitions and rules by which we used to live by have changed. And with that, you know, we should change and adapt as well, too. When looking at ideas or the identities of being a TCK, we have to go in with the understanding that being a TCK is less about the experiences, which is what I wanted to get through in the first podcast episode, is that what makes a TCK is not the situations in which one grew up, even though it does play a major role, But it's about that lack of connection to the culture that you are living in. It's about that lack of connection to that cultural identity and finding that connection between those who also identify as being a TCK. And that for me is a fundamental aspect about what it means to be a TCK in society. Throughout this podcast series, at the beginning of the podcast episode, I'm going to bring you a little bit more background information, um, whether it's specifically about that episode, whether it's about stuff that happened before, um, whether it's comments that people have given to me. As most of these episodes have been pre-recorded, these pre-show information bits are a way for me to directly engage with you, the listener, and to answer questions and provide responses to things that you know may otherwise, you know, wait for months. So in this podcast episode specifically, there's unfortunately not much information to give um, except for telling you a little bit about each of the individuals. Uh, Maya and I used to live near each other uh, when we lived in China. Uh, She was one of the first friends I met um, and one of the people I've remained closest to along with our small cohort of friends. Maya um, went and moved to Japan, uh, and she's now living back in the U.S. Uh, Steph, uh, I met, uh, I think, my second or third year when I was in China. And Steph is still working in China, but she's currently back in the U.S. due to COVID and the restrictions, and she's still trying to make her way back to China. Steph grew up in a very mixed, traditional TCK sort of household, so she has a lot of unique perspectives that are actually quite different, but it's the one thing that Steph and I actually really connected on was this whole TCK identity. While she didn't know what the definition was, or she may have heard of it, just totally forgot about it, it was something that a lot of the experiences we had were quite similar, and we bonded over that aspect of it. 
Ella is my friend who I made here in Hong Kong, and Ella is another traditional TCK individual. Uh, she brings a great perspective about kind of a non-American perspective when it comes to being a TCK. So without further ado, I'm actually going to end this pre-show note, and I'm going to let you go and enjoy the episode. I do have to apologize for this episode. It's my first time actually recording, on the very first one, so I was very excited. But I didn't make sure that my microphone was connected to my laptop, so it's using the microphone that's built into my uh, my PC, which isn't the best one. Um, but, you know, uh, but... Thank you again so much for all the support after the first episode. I'm really happy to be doing this and to be sharing these stories with you. Here's episode two of This Is We. Well, thank you everyone for coming on. I'm actually really happy that COVID kind of happened that we can all chat and not be so busy right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of want to ask you guys, because you guys each represent a different um, aspect of the TCK experience. Um, whether it's being from internationally uh, raised or whether it's from being um, multi or biracial, whether it's being um, from a political identity standpoint. Um, what does being a TCK mean to all of you? I guess I'll start because um, I think I might be the most different from you guys. So from my research and the articles that TJ sent me, which were very helpful because I had no idea what it meant, I guess like TCK means to me that you've been at least exposed from a young age. You've been exposed to different cultures that maybe your parents haven't been exposed to. Like, for example, I know in my experience, like, no, when I was little, I did not have the opportunity to travel the world. But um, I do remember growing up, like, there was a lot of students, like, especially in elementary school, <laughs> there were a lot of uh, students from Vietnam and uh, Latin America. So I had, like, I was, from a young age, I was, like, introduced to a culture that was different from mine, people speaking different languages. And that's something that my parents, they didn't understand at the time and kind of still can't relate to. So How did that affect your identity yourself? I guess like having that early exposure and not really understanding like, you know, we're in the States. A lot of people say like, oh, you know, like English is the language, but it's like, no, it's not. Um, I think that really like, having that exposure at such a young age made me realize that oh this world is bigger than north carolina like there are people from all over the world coming here and they're speaking their language as well as speaking english and having to learn it in order to get an education so i guess it kind of made me think about the world that was bigger than myself and my family for me i think mine is kind of similar to my like TCKs is kind of understanding and realizing that your home is not your parents' home and that like you cannot fit into one specific box for me at least. That's I think those are the two main things for TCKs for me at least. Yeah, yeah my experience is a little different. My parents were in the military so we moved around a lot. I grew up with a lot of mixed race kids and when I moved to the U.S. as a teenager I moved to really tiny town that was majority white and a lot of people didn't understand like 
the background I was coming from. They didn't want to hear about living abroad. They just couldn't relate to me. And so in my mind, TCK is more that we're constantly in motion, not just, you know, talking to people, but kind of trying to build those connections and trying to find common ground with others. I'm always kind of re-examining how to fully engage with other people and identify with others in our shared sense of space and kind of being cognizant of not being quite comfortable with the labels that people automatically assume that you are. I think it, a lot of it has to do with trying to, or having to edit your story, whether you like to or not about where you come from, just to relate to other people and your experiences with them to make them more comfortable. Yeah, that's a huge thing when I went to the UK, like, the first time I lived there, as a British citizen, they were all like, your accent's so weird, where are you from? And I'm like, I have the same passport as you, but I'm not one of you? Like, and then what do I say? Like, because I'm, I'm, I'm British as well, but obviously I'm not their British, so then how do I make them not feel uncomfortable and confused? Right, when I moved to New Mexico, I was initially labeled as Hispanic, Navajo, all of these things I'd never thought about before. And I'm like, what? How do you see that in me? It's, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, when I uh, studied abroad in Costa Rica, it's funny because a lot of people thought I was from Costa Rica, but a very, like a part where there's a lot of darker skinned people. And so people would just like speak to me in Spanish, but the only time they wouldn't like speak to me is if like maybe there was somebody white beside me they would assume like, oh, that she's probably not. But I noticed that a lot of the times if I were, I was with any, with anybody who is any person of color, then they would always speak to me in Spanish. Like that was just the thing. So that was interesting to kind of think about like, oh, but I'm black American, but here people think of me as Costa Rican. <laughs> so for all of us, we've kind of had that, that sort of questioned of where are you from, what are you sort of situation, like people kind of like trying to dismantle our identity to fit kind of their boxes in general. Um, for you, is this, has this been one of the biggest struggles being a TCK or has there been something else that you have to kind of, you know, continually struggle with or deal with because of other people or because of yourself? Um, for me at least, I think that um, it was more like you learn the correct answers depending on who you're talking to. And I think like, for me, I went through a bit of like an identity crisis when I first moved back to the UK as in, I'm, I have their passport, but I'm not one of them. So who am I then? Mm. And once I figured out, once I realized that I don't have to figure out who I am, but I have to realize who I'm not, then that really helped me explain it to other people. Like, you know, you have your short, you have your short answer, you have your long answer kind of thing. And um, you kind of just have to gauge the other person and what answer they want. So if they're like, oh, where are you from? And then usually it's like, oh, I'm French and British. I lived abroad, hence my accent. And they're like, ah, okay, okay. But then if they're like, oh, like, whereabouts did you live? And I'm like, oh, okay, now they want the long answer. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of how I gauge it. Was it for you, were your answers, because you said you had to kind of t provide the correct answer for whoever the person is. Was that based off of their race? Was that based off of their passport? Was that based off of the way they asked it? Kind of how did you determine was the correct answer to get? Yeah, I think it's based off of like their 
own experiences. You can tell the difference between somebody who has been abroad, lived abroad, and is open-minded versus somebody who was born and raised in the same town. Those two people are very different people and they require very different answers. Uh, the people who are born and raised in the same town, they want like a hometown, which obviously as a TCK you can't really give. Um, but then the people who are more open-minded and have like traveled abroad, lived abroad, they usually want like a longer answer and they're more open to understanding your complex identity basically. What about you guys? Right. I, it wasn't until I want to say grad school that really our differences were kind of celebrated and encouraged to come out. Um, when I lived in that tiny town in New Mexico, you know, it stopped being a question of whether they were talking about my nationality, nationality about where I was from or where I was born, you know, where I was living or what, where my parents were from. It was more like, what's your ethnicity? And when I got to grad school, people were looking for anything that would make you different. So I, I empathize with a lot of different people there. There's so many different people. Because in my family, like I grew up around Filipinos, around um, Muslims, you know, Arabic was spoken in my household. We had Japanese TV on because I grew up in Japan. And a whole slew of, of different things I was able to talk about. And you know, going back to people who grew up in those tiny towns, you do really see a difference between the the kid who has friends all the way from kindergarten versus the one who kind of came in as the new kid and had to learn to adapt and engage with the people who are already in their little cliques. I forgot the question. I'm such a good <laughs> podcaster. What did you say again? <laughs> um, what have been some of the struggles for you specifically um, identifying as a TCK or since, you, since you've recently embraced the identity of TCK, what have been some struggles for you um, growing up relating to your cultural identity and your cultural experiences? Um, was it for you always having to justify who you are as an individual? Or was there um, something else that kind of, that, that was a big hurdle for you to come over? Yeah, so like, that's a good question. So I think one of the biggest things was growing up in the States as a Black American, there's already like a lot of stereotypes and stigmas and all these other things that are against you. So when you, I guess, when I first traveled abroad, I kind of, not forgot, but it's like I wasn't treated the same way as I was here. So coming back here was kind of like I was thrown back into this reality that I had kind of escaped. For example, when I lived in Japan, I didn't, I had my book bag on in a store and it didn't do it, like nobody said anything. There was only like this one instance where this lady followed me around, but it was so weird because nobody else did it. Then coming back here, I was like, oh, I have to stop doing this. So I think for me, one of the things is it's like coming back to the States, I feel like sometimes I have to hinder what I know, like is my, I guess, normal reality abroad. And I guess it's kind of like a struggle because when I came back last year to work and then go to grad school, when I came back last year, I really did struggle because I had been in a foreign country for so long and I was used to like 
hearing a different language and speaking a different language and people speaking to me in a different language and kind of expecting me to like know Japanese. And it was weird when I came back because like people don't really expect black people to know other languages or to have traveled. And so when I shared my experiences with people, they're like, you did that? I'm like, yeah. But abroad, it's like, of course, I mean, you're living abroad. Of course you had to get there somehow. (laughs) So I think that part was, and that's something that I still struggle with, even in like my classes now, I just finished a Chinese program and I was like one of maybe three black people in the whole Chinese program. I don't know. I like learning languages. That's what I do. And it's always this constant, like, you can still be Black and do all of these things. That's what it is for me. That's the hardest part. So, Maya, um, Ella kind of talked about it being, um, from a traditional TCK point of view, about when people, and Ashley um, Steph did as well, about people always asking this, like, question of, where are you from, and not being able to answer. Um, you being black um, and being abroad as well too. Do you ever get that moment when people ask you where are you from and you tell them I'm from the US and they get that moment of disbelief that that's not what they were asking or they don't believe that you're from the US or anything like that? Oh yeah, I've gotten that um, multiple times. I've gotten people like don't believe that I'm from the States or they'll like see me with my husband and my husband's white so they just like can't put it all together (laughs) like I've had some very confused looks or people assume that I'm from Africa but it's like that's a continent you know so (laughs) yeah I've had that happen multiple times or I'm from the country that I'm in so with with that um do you have you ever had to like Ella said come up with correct answers to give to people and kind of like change your answers depending upon the person who's asking the question? Yeah, I've had to do that. And I mean, this happened more in East Asia. I kind of led with what I'm doing there. Like I led with, oh, I'm an English teacher. So at least people knew like I'm coming from an English speaking country and they can figure it out or they can ask me more questions. And the people who ask me more questions ends up being my friends. So <laughs> one last question directed at you, Maya. <laughs> um, so um, Steph and Bella, uh, myself, we both experience a lot of these issues on the home front um, about people, even with our own country, um, questioning our identities. You know, with the U.S. being the supposed, you know, the supposedly melting pot that it is, um, and also with a lot of things going on, um, do you get a lot of that? Also, that suspension of belief um, happening quite a bit in the U.S. as well, too. Like, people ask you where you're from, and you tell them, oh, I'm from, I mean, from North Carolina. And people are like, no, 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 no. Where are you from? Yeah. I think people might think that I'm, something that I've noticed is because I've done these things and because I can now speak more than one language, I think there's, like, some level of privilege like I'm a certain type of black person and it's like, no, I'm a grad student. I don't have a lot of money. You know, <laughs> like my parents didn't pay for this. I had to get scholarships. I like worked to get these things, you know? And so I guess that is something that I have noticed and I don't like want to come across pretentious, but it's like, I'm proud of what I've done, but it has been hard work. So for everyone, we've 
we've kind of like kind of touched on the next topic about kind of what I wanted to um, hit. But do you think being a TCK is specific to individual um, race nation combinations or is it so can you only be white and international or can you only be uh, American and Asian or can do you think there's is there a limit that we can put on what it means to be a TCK? I don't think so. I mean, it used to be that TCK referred to, you know, children of military personnel, uh, foreign aid, FSOs, foreign service officers, uh, missionaries. But nowadays, it encompasses so much because we're so globalized. You know, it refers to kids who've grown up in international schools within their parents' home country. So I don't, I don't think it's racially... It's like a localized sort of... Right, right. It's more culture-based, I think. Yeah, I think I agree with that. It's very culturally based. And also, I think it's more about, like, your experiences. And I think maybe not our generation, but the next generation when we are truly global citizens, it's not going to matter. Like, people are just going to stop asking you where you're from because it shouldn't matter. And they should just expect that nobody really has this, like, from this home anymore. Like, it, like if it's, it was going to become such a global society where we're raising our kids where they'll have multiple identity. I think that's like the future of it, if that makes sense. Um, and that's where like the TCK is becoming like the new normal. <laughs> yeah, I think they're the interesting part about TCK and like what I read and what I know is that it's more than just your parents get a job in a different country so you move with them and that's your life and you might have to move again whatever it might be i mean there's also kids who are refugees it's not necessarily like good thing for them to move out of their home country but it's necessary for safety right and it depends on the case and all those other things but yeah so i think it's more than just race i think it 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 is going to come down to culture and how you grew up and your experiences. Um, do you think though that, because Ella said that she thinks it's gonna become the new norm and that you know TCK won't be, people won't be asking where you're coming from anymore, but do you think it could evolve to the point where, because right now, especially what we're seeing in the US specifically and what we're seeing abroad is there's a reclaiming of culture and there's a reclaiming of identity going on all around. I mean, even here in Hong Kong, there's a claiming of identity. Um, a sep like separation from other cultures as well too, and that's happening all around the world. Um, we're seeing it on large scales, and we're seeing it in a lot smaller areas as well too. Do you really do you think that being a TCK or this identity is ever going to go away, or do you think that it's um, going to become a lot more, I guess, specialized? <laughs> um, I think at least like for TCKs, I think. One thing that we have is that we become critical of our own cultures. Mm -hmm. So we're, we become like self-aware. And I think uh, the world is becoming more and more like, critical or self-aware of their own cultures. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's maybe going to become like the way forward. Or maybe that's just like going to be the new TCK where it's more of a mindset where you become more open-minded. You realize like your country's not the best country in the world and you realize the problems and you want to either change it or like Maya said, like even with refugees, like they go to a different place and they assimilate, but they also become aware that 
maybe their new home isn't made for them. It's not like the best place for them. I kind of feel the opposite direction um, with the rise of nationalism and identities becoming sort of a, a one type thing. It's going to become a problem for TCKs in the future when we can identify with more than one culture and more than one identity and people, I don't want to say force us, but really want us to choose a side to support. Looking at HK, it's like, do you support the mainland or the other side? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to continue to be kind of a, a mixed issue in the foreseeable future, especially if, you know, depending on which side in the U.S. wins, how nationalistic the propaganda you were going to get. I think it might become the new norm. But at the same time, it's a little difficult, right? Because our generation is going to have kids and they're, you know, their parents probably will be moving abroad, especially like now in the Black community with all of the things going on right now. I've seen a lot more Black people talking about moving abroad and moving their children abroad and that they're just done with the States. And I don't blame them. I think it might end up being the new norm, but I do kind of want, I mean, but not for everybody because there's still a lot of places that are pretty homogenous and I don't know if the TCK, I guess, kid will be able to adapt to that or will the kids in those countries be able to adapt to TCK kids? I don't know. I don't so are you like envisioning half the world being like nationalistic and the other half of it being like global, like places where there's just a mix of cultures and identities? Yeah, kind of in a way. I think it would, for TCK to be the new, like the norm, it might be like a few generations from now. Yeah, it depends on who's in power to what representatives mm -hmm. we have. Do they look like us or do they look like, you know, as it has been for the past few hundred years? I don't know if, Steph, if you have, um, do you have multiple passports? I don't. Yeah. Uh, so Ella's the only one with more than one passport. So Ella, this question is for you. Um, when it comes to being a multiple passport holder, do you claim a different identity uh, depending upon which passport is closest to you? Or so if you ever, because it's French and British are the two passports. And American. All right, so three passport holders. So you actually, in the beginning of the, in begin, the beginning of it, you never identified as being an American. Okay, so but so you didn't claim it, but you claim French and you claimed British. So, um, but you all you put British first. Um, so, do you ever claim French first, or is it only when you're within the country that you claim the French citizenship? Um, so I actually claim French. I always, I usually always use my British passport. Just like British and French are quite interchangeable, except soon they will not be. That's for the next one. Um, but I think. For example, I'm looking at going back to do my master's and in the UK, I actually am not British enough. Like I do not... Uh, so what, two, three year continuous yeah, in the I UK? Do, yeah, I do not meet the requirements in order to get student loans from the UK. But with my French passport, I meet the requirements to get an Erasmus student loan, which I wouldn't otherwise be able to get with That's my with British, British yeah. Um, so yeah, and especially because I speak French, but I'm not bilingual. Um, I always put that as my second identity, if that makes sense. 
Or you just afraid that one day someone's going to call you up and just start speaking to you in French right that away. That has happened. <laughs> and it is like, especially because when I, when I speak English, I'm very outgoing. It's the opposite. I'm very timid, very shy. And so I'm like, oh, <laughs> So we've, we've kind of like talked about it a bit, looking at like refugees and specific, like specifically. But when we look at people who are like descendants of diasporas or people who like were forced to move from their homes as refugees and their descendants, They've essentially had their culture stripped away, um, specifically looking at, one, looking at, you know, the Chinese that when they weren't, first went to the U.S., that they had their identity stripped away and made it feel less, you know, the African diaspora, um, when a lot of Africans were brought from Africa to the U.S. as slaves, why being, being identified as being Black and then being African-American. How do we identify descendants? Do they still retain the identity of their home country, or do they have a different type of identity? Do they qualify as TCKs, or is it experience-based? Everybody's looking around like, oh my God. It's Pondering the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a complex question, because like, I'm just trying to think of, I guess my lineage, from what I do know, I'm pretty sure I have descended from slaves, and those slaves were in North Carolina. And that's why the majority of my family is here. And no, I don't identify with African culture because that's not, I mean, for so many years, that's not like what my family did. And unfortunately, due to, you know, the circumstances, that's why we're all here. But yeah, so I guess it's, I guess that's a tough question. I, I want to say it depends on how they've assimilated um, how far back the generations go. You're not going to find, you know, people here who are of German descent, super loyal Germany, especially after World War II, and how anti-German sentiment came even after World War One. You know, the Spanish flu, people were like, you sneeze, you're helping the Kaiser. Yeah, I think it also depends on the minority enclave that you grew up in. I didn't really grow up in the U.S., but I still identify as Filipino because that's the culture I know. But when I came to the U.S., there are really strong Filipino groups, you know, who have a strong identity that I honestly don't identify with. So it really depends on kind of where you go and who you talk to. Yeah, I agree. I obviously can't talk from like a personal perspective, but I know one of my friends from university, he was first generation Canadian, but his parents immigrated from Guyana, but they weren't black. They were, from, they were descendants from India and uh, they were also Muslim. So it was like a whole mishmash of stuff. <laughs> but if you asked him where he was from, he was like, oh, I'm from Like, there was no second thought about it. He was like, I'm Canadian. Like, it's what he knows. He was born there, raised there. Um, it is what it is. But then I've also had friends who were first generation American and their parents immigrated from India. Their grandparents essentially raised them in like a very Indian, like culturally Indian household. Mm -hmm. So they had like a huge cultural conflict between like the American way of life or the Indian way of life and that kind of like identity. So I think like Steph said, it very much depends on the community in which you grew up in and like how well you can assimilate to your new culture or your like your new country. I think also depending on how uh, your parents might have assimi assimilated to the country, you're kind of always going to have a piece of that culture around you somehow, some way, because 
if your parents are from the same generation as I'm guessing all of our parents are from, like they still have like, they still hold on to things. They still have a piece of themselves that they're not going to let go. So it's like, no matter what you do, there might be some food that you always eat or some tradition or something or, you know, whatever it might be. I think you're always going to have a little piece of that culture, even when you grow up in a different place. Right. And also depends on how they were treated. Gets passed down to you. Intergenerational trauma is really big. If they've always been kind of felt or they felt like the outsiders or they weren't necessarily part of the, the American dream, the American identity, and, you know, we're downtrodden, of course, they're going to be better and possibly pass it on to their kids who don't really feel like they're a part of the society. Great. <laughs> I don't know how else to respond to that very like, insightful comment. Um, like, I don't know, speaking for myself as, you know, um, being Korean American um, and only being able to have, I don't know, that sort of, I, specifically in the U.S. being, um, I really never got the opportunity to ever identify with being American personally. Um, and then finding out, like just recently, that my um, one side of my family, um, one, they're refugees from North Korea. And on the other aspect of it, they're refugees from the Japanese during World War II. So it's like coming from like this sort of thing, like my grandmother is, like has a Chinese citizenship, but I don't, I can't identify with being Chinese now because even though she has it, like, and even though I grew up thinking I was Chinese and Korean mix, I grew up in more so a like predominantly like kind of Korean upbringing, Korean culture inspired household. So I, I don't, I don't know. Like for me, there was like, even going to China and living there, there was always that kind of a disconnect from that culture and from that society. And I don't know if that's because like, I was never Chinese or if it was because my upbringing or my experiences were mainly. I remember the way you would talk about those things when we were in China and it seemed like you did have like more, I guess, exposure to Korean things, foods, whatever it might be, language, you know, than Chinese, but you were trying to connect to that Chinese part, which I think is very important too. I think also realizing like that you don't belong is just as important as like trying to belong. Like realizing that like, yeah, you might have like a Chinese background, but you can't, you don't associate yourself with that. Like that's just as important as associating yourself with Koreans. Being like, yeah, in my experience though, the Chinese are very, no offense to them, but very um, homogenous. You know, if you <laughs> talk even with the slightest you little difference, I would get all the time that there's something wrong with me when I'm trying to speak Chinese, or like I can't possibly be American, and I'm from the mountains or something. Yeah, they're like, but you don't look American, and you're like, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so there's also that, like, you try to fit in as much as you can, but in the back of your mind, or there's always someone whispering to you that you're not going to fit in, no matter what. I think one of the funniest moments was uh, I was on the train, um, and so when I first got to China, and I was taking a 15-hour train ride from Beijing down to the city I lived in, and it was on the slow train, so if you've ever taken the slow train, you know how <laughs> bad it is. And so... <laughs> everyone is shaking, so because you guys can say everyone is shaking their head and like their heads are in their hands and they're just done. Um, but the I was taking the slow train down and 
this one local decided to ask me questions and using a translator app. And the first thing they asked me is like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from the US. But why are you yellow? I'm and they asked me, Oh, why are you yellow? I was like, I was like, well, I'm Korean and Chinese. They're like, Oh, so you're from China. No, I'm not from China. Um, and then they asked if there were yellow people in the US, if yellow people existed outside of China, outside of Asia, specifically China, but outside of Asia as a whole. And for me, that was like that was one of the few times ever in my life that I had culture shock, which is from that one conversation because growing up, all of us grew up in the West. I mean, grew up in a very in-your-face, multicultural sort of experience. And yet, so we were aware of the fact that, you know, the world is a bit more diverse than what people are making out today. Um, but yeah, it's just, that was, a, that was a shock for myself. But what about you guys? What was that time that you finally had culture shock or you had, you know, that, experience where the world was like kind of thrown in your face and like well this is not what i grew up to kind of experience and is it kind of like a reverse culture shock where it's not you're used to globalization or you're getting used to like a different culture where you're getting used to a i mean a homogenous culture or a um something that you just completely weren't expecting i think for me it's it was kind of like a culture shock but I guess, like, I remember watching, I was in Japan, and I was watching TV. And it was, like, how, it was kind of surprising because everybody on TV, they were from Japan. And I, that's something, like, I never really experienced. It, it would be, like, me only watching TV with black people. So I guess it was kind of shocking because it's, like, I never really thought about how is it when you live in a country and everybody looks like you. So your media that you consume daily is just for you. So it kind of shocked me in a way because I just like, it was like out of this world, like I had never thought about that before. I guess whenever I come back to the US, I get kind of a reverse culture shock in that it's nice to see people with body shapes like mine, you know, full figured women. You don't get that in Asia. You're constantly picked upon for what you eat. And they do it with the best intentions. I mean, they wouldn't be your, your friends if they didn't say something about your weight. Yeah, in my experience, it's, I get, I don't know, being a TCK, I think for me, I have issues with having to constantly need um, stimulation with new things, new people. And when I, I'm stuck and I can't move. It's really hard for me to kind of adapt to just being in one place. So when I came down to Maryland here, I've been here for a few months and it's been interesting, but I, I really miss traveling, moving, going abroad. For me, like growing up, especially as a child, I lived mainly in Asia. So I was used to being like the token white person, you know, uh, going places and people were like, oh my God, she's a white blonde chick. And um, obviously like being white, you get treated very differently um, abroad. Then when I went back to the UK, it was tough to, it was again like reverse culture shock where I was like, I'm not special. <laughs> um, and also I understand what everybody is saying. Like, I cannot play this foreigner card. So that was, that was kind of tough for me, but then also in terms of race, like when I went traveling around China and, um, you know, there are all these other like white travelers and they were like, oh yeah, they love taking pictures with us, this, that, and the other. And I was like, again, like growing up in Asia, I was kind of used to people stopping and be like, can I take a photo with you? 
And then, but then I met um, a girl, she was like mixed race. And she, she was like really light skin though. And she was like, yeah, people stop and take photos with me and all these other like white travelers are like, oh yeah, it's so great. She's like, no. And I went out with her one day and I completely understand what she was talking about. Because the way in which like the Chinese would look at her, it was like, and they were just like, why, like, where's this hair coming from? Like, what? And like, they were like taking photos, but not asking her uh, whilst with me. They were like, can we please take a photo with you and stuff? Um, and that to me was like quite a bit of a culture shock just to really realize like how privileged I am as a white person to go abroad and be treated nicely. My husband experienced the same thing that you did when he was with me in China because he was like, you get treated differently than me. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh my because it's like the wet market. We were at this wet market. I live in a small town in China. And this lady, she like reached and touched my hair. Wet markets in China, we all know. Okay. <sighs> it's wet. <laughs> and so I don't know where her hands have been and so I feel like like this finger in my hair and I was just like what is happening because at first I thought like oh it's Gerald he's like getting something maybe something flew in my hair we're in a wet market who knows you know but then it's like no there's this lady in my hair and I was just, I had to like take a step back. She was an older lady and calm myself down and politely say like, please don't touch my hair. But like things like that would happen in China. And it's just like, no, I'm still a human being. I just look different. Like, Is that what you messaged me about how to say, please don't touch my hair in Chinese? <laughs> probably. probably. husband's also white and he loves visiting me in China because of the way he's treated like a king. Flaming red hair, he gets job offers off the street and here I am off to the side just hanging out waiting for him to be done. Like there's a, a stereotype in China that white guys have ugly Asian girlfriends because they can't get a Chinese boyfriend you know and yeah it, it Sometimes it makes me so mad, but it is what it is until China opens up and becomes more diverse. Even though they do have other ethnicities, you just don't see them very often because almost everyone's Han. Well, and all the different minority groups are kind of like locked away in their own communities, essentially. Yeah. I mean, like, even yeah. going like traveling to Iwu, you had to, if you're a minority, you had to show your, you, you were constantly checked for your ID cards. Because that happened way too often to me. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, I got stopped on my e-bike by people who thought I was a person from Xinjiang. Same, yeah, I got Xinjiang. And I'd be like, bit. do you speak English? And they'll be like, okay, no, you go, you go. <laughs> uh, when I lived in China, Mai came to visit in the village, or in the village I lived at, and she was like, it's completely different here from, you know, where I live because like, even there, like, you know, me being, I was the first foreigner to live in that village, um, history, like, ever. 
Um, and then, so they didn't have, and they were like an hour away from the city. Um, there wasn't much of a transportation between the two of those. Like the only thing they ever got there were tea farmers or people would skip the village and go directly to the mountains for like a photography festival. But Maya's like walking down the street. She goes, no one stopped me. No one was staring. No one was, she was like, she was, I like it here. <laughs> Yeah, it was nice. It was like, yeah, I know I look different. I'm in China and I'm black, of course. But there, I don't know. It was like people just didn't treat me as if I was some like object to, you know, ogle at or whatever. It was just pretty normal. And also I was jealous because that school was beautiful that you taught at. Looked like a fairy tale village. I was like, where, why can't I teach here with you? <laughs> All right. So that's pretty much going to wrap up this um, episode. I want to thank you three for coming on. I know it's very um, late for the two. Well, it's not very late. It's late for the two of you. Um, so I want to thank you all for coming on. And I've, it's been a joy to hear your experiences with these days. Um, and I hope, you know, that, you know, maybe one day you guys can come back on. We can kind of dive into more of these topics together. Thanks, Thanks Tage. So much. All right. So, um, all right. Thank you so much. I hope you guys have a good day. Bye. 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 Bye.